All right, we got everybody here? Yeah? 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 Yeah, yeah. Okay. Close. Everyone who's absent, please speak up. So, I'm going to tell you guys a story. Um, Brent may have been here, but he would have been the only one. So, our first year, our first year of ministry, we came to this church for our, I believe it was our missions retreat. And when you guys are out there playing frisbee, if you saw there was a there's a house that's right across the fence there on the oh it's the north side but but um, when we first got here the pastor different pastor but he came up and said hey guys uh, welcome to the church if you need more space uh, there's a parsonage if you don't know what parsonage is basically a house that's connected to a church facility uh, for a pastor traditionally. And so the parsonage is like right over there. Nobody uses it. It's just for storage. You're welcome to stay there as well. So he, we didn't know where it was. So Jay Nick, Josh Nicholas, um, and he was our mission speaker this year. Right? He was one of my original teammates. He went over there to check it out. He came back. He's told us, he said, guys, that place is super creepy. We have to, I have to show you later. It is like the creepiest place. And so we were like, okay, cool. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's go check it out. So later on that night, Janik is busy getting things ready for a service or something like that, and we go in, like me and Duncan and a couple others, um, go over to check out this place, and we walk in, and he's right, like the facility, I mean, it's the church, the house is fine, it's great, except that nobody's using it for anything except for like random stuff. If you ever go up to the top of foothills out in the like, like upstairs in the aisles, trying to go to the like baptismal or something, it's like all that random stuff, it's kind of like that. So there's like, there's like a, there's a noose just randomly sitting ah. on the, <laughs> what, what is that? Like there's like a random TV, just this really like one crutch, like only one, you know, it's like probably from some play or something, who knows, but, but it's just all this random stuff. And there's this one room that is actually facing, you guys know, like, um, the, the thing about the hotel up on the hill, Stanley Hotel. Yeah. The Stanley hotel. And like, you know, it's the. Haunted Hotel or whatever with with uh, all that. So facing the Stanley Hotel, it was a full moon that night, and it's facing the Stanley Hotel in this one room in this in this parsonage. There was a window, and there was just enough light from the moon that you that oh, and the lights didn't work in that room. But you could see from the moon, you could see into the into the room, and there was only one old recliner Lazy Boy chair in there. And, and you had the moon, and you could see the Stanley Hotel. This is, it was really, really creepy. It was just like, what? So we come up with this crazy idea, and we position the chair up against the window. And we put this guy, BJ, who was one of our early students, on, in the chair. And we had found an axe head. There's an axe head in there. So, so he's holding like the axe, like a little bit of the axe head. That he can, and he's holding it. And, and from the front door... All you can see, you can't even see his face. All you can see is the light of the moon shining over his silhouette as he's sitting in the chair with the axe head. <laughs> and so it's like, this is just so perfect. We can't not do this. So we go back to the church here and we get a hold of Janik and, and it had been snowing um, before. And so we we told him, we said, hey, um, oh, and we, we plugged in the TV so it's just white static. We turned on the TV. It's just white static. <laughs> oh, uh, in another room. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we come and we're like, Janet, we can't figure out which 
house is the parsonage. Is it one on the very back of the parking lot or the one on the side or is it over around the corner? We just don't know. So he said, okay, well, and if anybody knows uh, my friend Janik, he is he's all gusto. He's all energy and just, I mean, it's, it's fun to watch him when he is just in his element. So he's just like, let me show you. And he's just off. I mean, he's just, you know, charging. We got, it's probably like 10 of us following him. And uh, we all know what's going on, of course, but uh, Janik thinks he's just showing us where the house is. So we are walking in, and you had to walk from the ha- church. You have to walk through the back door. You actually go down to the basement, and then you go up into like the main section of the house because we we're coming from the back. So anyway, he comes walking through the gate. We walk in, and we're all just playing coy, right? And we walk in, and <laughs> he goes downstairs, and he sees the TV on with white static. He's like, Weird. That wasn't like that before, but he's like, "But guys, I gotta show you this room. It's super creepy." I'm like, oh, "We're like, okay." So he like, he walks upstairs, and uh, I was right behind him. I was the guy right behind him, and we go through the hall. He can't find the lights. There's no lights. It's all dark. We're storming through the hall. That this room is down at the end of the hall to the right. And we go storming through the hall, and he comes storming into this room. Guys, this is the room. He comes walking in, and his look—I will—it will be forever seared in my mind. The look that Janik had, because it started with just stopping and confusion. It was just confusion, and then there was just this pure, unadulterated terror. I mean, it was probably the sh- it was probably the purest form of horror I've ever seen on another human being's face because he instantly turned around and said, "We've got to get out of here." <laughs> <laughs> Jenny's a big guy. He's not a. I mean, he's not a small dude. And 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 I say this. I try not to say this in, in any way, like diminishing his reputation, because he, he he was trying to get us to move. But he was like pushing us out of the way. <laughs> he was like, like trying to lead the charge. Like we gotta go, go. I mean, but in the instance, he was just like I flew up against the wall. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and Jake Leffler, the director of Chi Alpha now in Russia, um, watched the the domino effect of what was happening. Jake is just doing a football drill through the hall of all the other guys, and Jake waits, and he when he gets to Jake, Jake tackles him. With all he's got, and pulls him down, and like two other guys grab him, and he's like, "We're gonna die!" And he's like freaking out, and then and we're just like laughing, and and he says, even he tells the story. He says, like, "I thought you guys didn't understand. None of you saw what I saw. Some crazy." person has come into this house and is living in this house and he is going to kill us all! Like He thought, he thought this is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to die. We are going to die in, this in the parsonage next to the church because these guys are all laughing at me and we're all about to be murdered. Right? So so we grab him and BJ comes out of the room and like and he's like, at this point we're like trying to calm him down. We're like Jake, it's okay. We know, we know, it's fine. And BJ comes storming out. They're like, "Yeah, hey, it's me, it's me." You know, and we turn on the lights, and he's and he, for like 
for like 10 minutes, I mean, for five minutes, he was just like confused. I mean, it was just like, just the terror was like flushing out of his system. He, had, he was just confused. And then he was like, he's like, I need, I need a minute. So he like leaves for like 10 minutes just to like, and uh, it took him the rest of the night to like calm down after all. He, it really was kind of, kind of sad, but uh, that was one of the best breaks we ever had. Yeah. I guess I can. I'm in here, right? <laughs> no, this is not mine. <laughs> I've got little kids, so it's a giant diaper bag. Um, so yeah, I I actually uh, my Chi Alpha experience has often been interconnected with this church. Actually, kind of funny. Uh, first conference that I ever went to with Chi Alpha was a fall <coughs> retreat. I was first just kind of getting plugged in with them, and uh, it was here. Wow. And so it's, kind of, it's always kind of fun for me to come back yeah. um, and, and come here. There's been a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, intense um, moments in my life and life of a lot of my friends uh, here at this facility. But, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get into some stuff this weekend. It's going to be fun. Next 24 hours is going to be a good time. Uh, we're going to talk through a number of things. We're going to talk through uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to do that tonight. And then we're going to talk about uh, a lot of other just core concepts uh, for LTC. Uh, how do you lead just kind of the weekly meeting? Um, things like spiritual authority and, and um, reaching the strategic student and a lot of things like that. So it's going to be a good time. Our hope, though, is to also just have time together. Um, we like doing the retreat. We used to not do the retreat thing. It was just we kept doing Sunday nights until it was over. Um, but there's something kind of nice about just getting away for 24 hours and just you know sleeping on an uncomfortable floor and you know learning how to catch a frisbee and just doing stupid stuff together. It's just kind of fun and it's nice. So um, we'll get to do that with the larger community come next fall. Uh, for any of you guys who are going to join leadership. Um, before the school starts, and we'll have a leadership retreat and do something similar. But uh, we do want to just kind of have some time together. And so you know, we're going to have some time tonight. But after we're done, you know, feel free to hang out tonight. And then uh, tomorrow morning, I think we're starting. I have to look at the schedule again. But I think we're starting at like 8 or 9 with breakfast. Uh, I'll have to look. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know before the night's out. I think it's 8. Yeah. Is it 8? Eight? 8 with breakfast. And uh, then we'll kind of get going. And we'll be done. We'll be done by three. We're actually going to be here in the morning, and then we're going over to, if you guys remember Milo, he's in Russia right now, but Milo, his parents live here in Essence Park, and uh, they've generously let us, give us the opportunity to go hang out at their house for the afternoon. So the weekend is so nice, uh, the weather is so nice, that maybe we'll get to be outside a little bit in the midst of everything we're doing. So. Um, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do this super just low key, but we do want to start our time with a little worship. Come on, tonight. Yes. And so, um, we're gonna we're gonna do it Spotify style. Um, just make it easy. But uh, you guys just want to stand with me, and Ily, you want to do that? But Lord, thank you for this time. Well, thank you for this time. Together. And Lord, we just put our minds and our hearts 
on you, Lord. And Lord, we just take this moment and we say, may your presence be with us. May you... We know you're always here, but Lord, we just say in this time, may you be evidence in our midst. And may we just come to love you and know you more in this time. In Jesus' name. We need to stand somewhere else. Give me a lot of space here.
so good to me. For I took the bread, you with your life to me. You have been so, so kind to me.
But let's just keep our eyes on Him, yeah. not on each other, not yeah. on, but just focus yeah. on the Lord. Just minister to the heart of God. There's nothing that quite gives my heart these days the joy like when my boys come up to me and say, I love you, Daddy, and shower me with affection. And so let's just take a moment and let's just give our Heavenly Father adoration. Let's minister to his heart. So, Father, we love you and we are so grateful for you. God, I praise you because you're valuable. There's no one else like you. King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're precious, unique. Valuable and the only one and only thing worthy of praise. So praise you, God. We dedicate our lives this time to you because of who you are and your character. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for being faultless. You are holy and blameless. You shall blemish. I admire you. That is incredible. Praise God for that quality. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, Jesus. Your faithfulness in our lives. In every aspect of our lives, you are faithful. God, thank you that you are so reliable. You're the most reliable thing, God, in our lives. Jesus, thank you for providing, um, Lord, just complete satisfaction, God, uh, in our hearts, God. There's nothing that can give us that other than you, Jesus. You have that place in our hearts, God. Thank you for being a good, good king. You're such a good king, Lord. Thank you that you chose to do everything motivated out of love, God, out of, out of love for us and for, for um, you know, the people you designed in your image, Jesus. Thank you that that um, it's all motivated by your love, your good love, Father. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for that costly, costly grace, Father, that you would send your son to die for me, to die for everyone around me, Father. 
You love yeah, us hallelujah. so much, Father. Hallelujah. You do hallelujah. that for us, Father. And that not only that, you let us live with you and live through you, Father, to walk with you every day, Father. And I just thank you for your grace and your love. God, thank you for your jealousy for us, for our, for our time and for our affection for you, God. Thank you for jealously pursuing us all the time, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. God, thank you that you're that you're stronger. Yeah. Not that anything that, that, would, that would try to try to go after us, God, you, um, you would stop at nothing. Yeah. You stop at nothing for us. Yeah. We just appreciate you, Jesus. We just appreciate you. Just the way that you the way that you love us and the way that you look at us. <coughs> lift our burdens up, whether it's school or work or anything that's just bothering us right now, we lay it at your feet, oh Lord. Mm-hmm. Glory, great God. Thank you, Jesus, for just being so personal, <laughs> for just loving us Love where we are God. and keep yeah. Just yeah. holding our hand and just walking Glory down the God. lane of life, giving us grace, giving us love, giving us a spirit of power, of courage to speak out. Lord, I just pray that tonight, as we praise you, you just continue to give us that spirit of power, the spirit yes. of fullness, yes. the spirit of courage, because yes. we need that, Father. And I thank you so much for your grace and your love that lets us keep walking down this lane of life with you. Lord, we just praise you that you you are a light. God, your face shines brighter than the sun. You're arrayed and adorned with gold. Lord, and you just you're just so glorious to look at, Jesus. Just praise you. Praise you, God, that you're pure. God, that there's that you're just perfect light. Thank you, Jesus. Love you, God. time to you, with the students to you, Lord, may this time be yours, we're devoted to you, Lord, may you have your way with us in our time, you are worthy, and we surrender again our lives in this time, we love you, we love you, you're so good, God, amen, okay, you guys take a seat and uh, <clears throat> how many of you guys remember Dick Both? Yeah! Dick Both! Dick Both. He uh, he told me this story one time. Um, <clears throat> he was a young <clears throat> pastor and uh, a young pastor and uh, in his congregation, he had a couple come into his church. It was mostly a university kind of church, mostly university students and faculty, professors. Um, and he had a couple come into his church. One was an FBI 
agent. The man was an FBI agent. Um, he was kind of a Baptist background. His wife uh, was raised in a Pentecostal holiness church. Um, but they admitted that when they both got married, they just walked away from their church backgrounds. And they walked away from the Lord in any way. Um, but for some reason, they felt like they were supposed to be going to this church. And so they told folk, they said, we're only coming because we just kind of feel like we're supposed to. But the woman was very clear. She said, but I'm never coming to the Lord. Just want to let you know, I'm never coming back to the Lord. Um, and she admitted to both that she didn't feel like she could ever come back to the Lord after the things that she had done in her life, that she was not worthy and not able. And Dick, you know, he offered to pray for them, and, you know, he tried to give the, the Christian responses to, to grace and acceptance and, and all of those things that we would know to maybe say in that moment. But nothing was coming through, nothing would penetrate. Um, she just would say, I, I can't believe he'd want me. Um, a little while after that, they kept coming to the church, and there was this one morning, and, and Foth was about to close out the service. He had, he had offered an altar call, you know, like if you want to accept Jesus in your life, that kind of a thing, and he was about to close things out. And just as Dick was about to close the service in prayer, there was a tall, gangly, middle-aged, blue-collar worker um, who spoke out in tongues from the rear of the church. And then sitting right behind the woman uh, that we're talking about here, uh, there was a French-language PhD student at the University of Illinois, and, and both was pastoring the church there right next to Illinois, at the University of Illinois. And he spoke in interpretation to the tongue, and it said, the Lord says, I want you to know this, my daughter. For five long years, I've waited for you to return to me. And today is going to be that day. And folks said, you've never seen someone run up to the altar so fast. <laughs> this woman. And, and you know, all of the, all of the you know, words, the theology, the... Even the community were not enough. There, there needed to be that um, encounter with the Lord that she had, that moment where the Lord was speaking to her specifically. And, and from, that, from that moment, she gave her life to the Lord. Um, we're going to spend our time tonight looking at <coughs> an interesting topic called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we'll kind of look at this, and we're going to do some Q&A. Um, we're just going to give you a heads up about this. Uh, I know this is one of those things that we may all have very different backgrounds, experiences, or history in this area. Some of us may just have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about right now. That's fine. Um, so we're just going to kind of lay out uh, the outpost's perspective on, on this topic. We're going to do some Q&A at the end, so as I'm talking... Please feel free to write those down, and then just uh, we'll we'll discuss those afterwards. And then we'll also have some time just to pray for anyone who would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. It's always fun to to have people receive that during the during the retreats if if that's something that you've been seeking after. Uh, we'll do that tonight, but there won't be any 
pressure to that, but if you would like to be prayed for for that, we will thank you for that. Um, so we're going to look at some biblical examples. We're going to kind of walk through the biblical narrative of that's the Holy Spirit. Now, this, this topic is far bigger than we have time for. Uh, we could go into the Old Testament. We could go through the early church or the, um, you know, the Holy Spirit's work throughout history in the last 2,000 years. But we are going to really focus on the New Testament, looking at some of these core biblical passages to highlight the concept of what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's interesting that in... The world today, um, you could say, if you, if you think about the relationship we have with God today, um, we don't have a relationship with the Father directly. You know, the Bible you know, talks about how you know, Jesus has made him known and that kind of thing, but we don't have direct access. Nobody has seen the Father. That, that kind of stuff is articulated in Scripture. Um, Jesus, we don't really even have interaction with. Um, I mean, unless you've had, you know, and it does happen, and I certainly believe in it, but, you know, if you've had that visitation by Jesus or something like that, it happens sometimes, especially in the Middle East, it seems like, where, where some of the spiritual stuff is going on. But, but, but you don't really have this kind of interaction with Jesus. Jesus is coming again. He went away. There's this idea that the bridegroom is coming. He's not yet here. He's not with us. Now, he is with us in the sense that the New Testament articulates the spirit of Christ is with us, the way the Trinity you know, at times it's just, I mean, it's one, and yet it is three. You know, he is one, and yet at times he is also separate. So in that sense, Jesus is with us. The Spirit of Christ, who is the Holy Spirit, is with us, but he isn't really here. Who we have is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is the part of God, the personality within God, that we get to get to know during this season of of really the Christian story of redemption. Someday Christ is coming again. The Father is going to be the Son of the new creation. And, you know, all that kind of wild, like, what does that mean? And all this. You know, we'll have other seasons where we're going to have a more full picture. But right now, we get the Holy Spirit. And yet, I would argue, oftentimes, He's the one that is least understood, least emphasized, um, because we just don't really know what to do with it. And so it's, it's sort of like when Jesus was there, everybody was focused on the Father, and that way they just like, what do we do with Jesus in front of us, right? And it's like we don't really know what to do with God in front of us. We know what to do with God at a distance. And here is the Holy Spirit. Um, but if we are going to live out this Christian life, we need to be people who are pursuing the heart of God where we are. And, and that means we have this special season with the Holy Spirit in the, in the story of the church and of God's redemptive story. So, what is the deal with the Holy Spirit? Um, uh, we're going to look at kind of three things. We're going to just look at the concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we're really focusing on the baptism of the Holy Spirit particularly. Um, we're not so much focusing on the idea of the Holy Spirit as, as uh, the sealer of faith, although we can talk about that if you want to contrast that. Um, we all, I think, would probably all be on the same page if we are saying, hey, we accepted Jesus is Lord and Savior, we all kind of get that. But the thing where we're kind of confused is, is his active work within our lives um, in the supernatural in our world. So we're going to kind of dive into that. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at gifts. We're going to look at tongues um, as the weirdest of the gifts. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll do the Q&A and some of that kind of stuff. So sound good? Yeah. yeah. Buggled in, ready to roll? Yeah. All right. So let's go through some of this. 
uh, here tonight. Um, let's talk about the promise. And for simplicity, I've got I've got these up. I don't know if you can really read that super well. I know it's not not super close on these screens, but um, the first thing I want to highlight is the promise of the Holy Spirit. So in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I'm going to just fly through some of this stuff. I'm going to fly through passages. I'm going to fly through scripture references. So take notes, backtrack, make sure I'm not being heretical. You know, do that on your own time. But Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I. This is John the Baptist speaking. He is <clears throat> baptizing Israel. And Israel's really confused because they actually had baptism during the time of John the Baptist. He didn't create this idea. But what he did was he said, actually, you, fo- you followers of Yahweh need to also be baptized. Just because you're the sons and the daughters of Abraham is not enough. Just because you have Christian heritage is not enough. You need to choose Except Jesus is Lord and Savior. And that was radical. That was a radical idea. I mean, faith was so interconnected with culture and with society and with governments at the time that the idea that you had to choose individually was, was uh, strange and unique. And so here's John the Baptist saying, hey, you need to repent. But somebody's coming whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. We know that to be Jesus, right? Here, he is, pre- John the Baptist, preparing the way and repentance is part of our walk with the Lord and coming into the deeper things of God. But John says, I will bat- I'm baptizing in water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. And so John here is contrasting two kinds of baptisms. Um, he's using his literal physical baptism as a metaphor to what Jesus is going to do and usher in, in, in the spiritual sense. Now, we see this in Acts 1, verse 4 and 5 about the promise also. On one occasion, while he, being Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, right? We just read that. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So John did this contrast. I'm baptizing in water. Jesus is going to baptize you in something else, Mm -hmm. in the Holy Spirit. And then here's Jesus saying, hey, the, the contrast is about to happen. The contrast is about to start, but you need to wait. It's fascinating to me that Jesus is here talking to his disciples. And, I mean, in the study of, like, sociology or culture or, or anthropology, like, you would, you would think this would be the moment you'd want to seize. They just had seen Jesus rise from the dead. They're, they're, these, are, these are young men. I mean, don't think, when you think of disciples, don't think of like old men with beards. You know, think of young men with like acne. You know, like these are like teenagers, right? They're like, they're just like, um, you know, we think Peter maybe is the oldest, but, and he was married, but everybody else, were, you know, a lot of them were probably like pretty young still. And so here are these guys, and, and they're, but you know, youth is full of passion and exuberance and fire and excitement. If Jesus had said, Go reach the world. They would have probably been like, yeah, we can do it. And they would have been storming out the door. And yet Jesus waits. He makes them wait until the passion has waned, until the excitement has faltered, until the moment has passed. And then what really is needed, not the youthful exuberance, not the, not the excitement of the moment, 
but something else is what was going to be needed for the world. And so we see the promise is, is building um, in these passages. Now in Acts 1, eight, oh, oh, no. okay, I'm, trying, I'm trying this. See if I can. Oh, I need to go over here. There we go. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna figure this out. Okay. All right, bear with me. Um, Acts one eight. The purpose of all of this. What's the deal? Why? Why does this matter? Um, Acts one eight. Um, Jesus says, "This is why I'm making the way." But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Um, Jesus is basically saying here, the core reason why you need this second thing that is happening, this work of the Holy Spirit in your life, is because you need to be empowered to do the work that I'm calling you to do. And the, and the exuberance and the passion and the fervor and all that stuff, we love that. We love working with college students because it's so much fun, the life and the and the passion to think like I can change the world. You really can, and you do. And you and so we love that. And yet what Jesus was highlighting here is there's something more to be something other than every other movement or social, you know, cause or religious uh, revolution. There has to be something more to this than just all those things. And so to receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you be my witnesses. From there, now, can you re, can we do ministry without the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Um, if you know the disciples have just been with Jesus for over three years and they've been doing ministry with him, and um, <clears throat> it certainly seems like the Holy Spirit was working through them in that context, and yet there's something other um, that still needed to happen. If the disciples weren't ready after three years of being discipled by Jesus, um, you really think that you are ready without it. So, um, I love all of your small group leaders, but none of them are that good. <laughs> now, it's right. Three years with any of them, probably. So, um, if Jesus thought the disciples weren't ready after hanging out with them for three years, um, I'm sorry, but I'm probably not and that's that's not to say you you know you can't. And we'll we'll get into like this. You know, people you know have all kinds of objections. Well, don't we already have the Holy Spirit? We'll get into some of that. Um, but but we need to recognize that this is Jesus's model that he set up. This is the model that he set up for his followers. Um, and and we'll get into why here in a minute. All right. So let's look at the fulfillment here. The fulfillment. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that se uh, separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here we see the fulfillment um, of, of the promise for the purpose God laid out. Now, the result was in Acts 2, we keep going down, in verse 42 to 47, it says, they, being the disciples and the followers of Jesus, 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I read this actually, if you guys remember last LTC, uh, just kind of showing the, the three core values of our ministry expressing themselves. Life together, um, in brotherhood, it's a sense of and responsibility. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the day for all the people. The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So the result was exactly what Jesus said the purpose was, that there was this, that there was this incredible fruit that began to happen. Interestingly enough, the thing here doesn't highlight... Um, no, yeah, it doesn't highlight any of the charismatics that we'll get to. Like it doesn't really highlight the gifts. What it does highlight is there's a deeper sense of of passion for the Lord and devotion to one another. Mm-hmm. And and when we talk about like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, I would just give a disclaimer right off the bat. This in no way is talking about oh I've spoken in tongues so I'm a better Christian than anyone else or I'm you know whatever. Like that has nothing to do with any of it. But there is something that is able, the Lord is able to do something within us that just starts to stir things in a way. When I first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's when I began to understand what it was like to hear the voice of the Lord on a regular basis. It's when I started to actually understand how to have a, a real Devo life that was like deeply in sync with the presence of God in my life. It was in that place I learned to foster His presence in my life. I, I had a director friend of mine say, you know, for him, you know, if he if he has guys or gals that are like wrestling with habitual sin or or just struggles and they're really trying to get freedom and things, but they're just he's like I just walk with them through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it's like that's just it just fixes everything so then we can move on like because he's the one. You know, Jesus. It's interesting in the Bible. This is sort of a side note. I'm getting off track, but it's interesting that Jesus never called us to be rabbis. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that in the scripture, but in the in the rhythm. Uh, and it sounds funny to us because we're like, oh, well, of course not, we're disciples. But that is not the way it should have been. In the time of Jesus, you would be a rabbi to disciples, and then those disciples would become rabbis to other disciples. In the Bible, um, you certainly see the expression of Paul to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. But we are never articulated as rabbis because we have one rabbi, him, God. And he's the one doing the work. He's the one really working. So if we think that we can fix the issues of people's hearts and lives and situations driven in our own, we're mistaken the point of this. We need to get people to Jesus. We need to get people to God, and he will do the work, right? We so often try to spend too much time doing the work ourselves instead of pushing people to God to let him do the work in their hearts that only he can do. And so here is Jesus basically saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to work on this. Um, but in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is this, there is this empowerment to, to do the work, to foster the presence of God in our lives, in our community, in our, you know, all that kind of thing. All right. Who is the promise for? Let's do that one. Acts 2, 37-39. When the people heard this, they were cut to the hearts and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, repent and be baptized, that's talking about water baptism, just as 
I'm using that word interchangeably right now. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, will forgive us for your sins. Uh, that's the baptism of John, right? The baptism of forgiveness, of repentance. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Mm-hmm. All right, so, so this is for all of us. It's all who call on the name of Jesus, all who are followers of Christ. It's not for the super evangelists or the you know, super spiritual person. It is for all of us. It's interesting when, when Jesus speaks about John the Baptist, he says, you know, John was the greatest of the prophets who were a prophet at that time in Israel would have been seen as like the person who has the most access to God. And, and Jesus says, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Like, all of us have more access mm-hmm. to God um, than, than John the Baptist did, which is pretty phenomenal. Right? I think it's hilarious. You know, I heard a commentator once basically say, like, it's funny that God actually said the least. Like, there's actually someone out there is actually the least, like, yeah, the least of the kingdom of heaven. You are just barely hanging on, dude. Like, just, you know, but even that person, even the least spiritual, you know, you might say, I am just not that spiritual. I'm not that, like, godly. I'm not that, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm just, you know, a baby that all this. Yeah, that's okay. You have more access to God. Then John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, you have that kind of access. Are you taking advantage of it? All right. So this passage, if you're thinking deeply, if you're following me, you guys tracking with me? Yeah. 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 All right. All right. If you're following with me, you should be objecting right now with the question, but don't don't we then receive the Holy Spirit at salvation? Um, And the answer is yes. And we're going to look at that just a little bit. Um. Actually, uh, no, I am missing slides. Okay, so Acts 2, <coughs> or sorry, um, Acts 8, somebody, you have a Bible, somebody have a Bible. Uh, let's do John chapter 20, and Acts chapter 8, and Luke chapter 11. In 21. Um, John 20, 19 through 22. Now, let's start with that one. So, John 20, 19 through 22. Want you stand up? Say it loud, say it proud. Stand up. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Okay, so here is Jesus. He hasn't ascended yet to be the Father. He's with his disciples. He has this really interesting moment where he says, Now, what's <coughs> interesting is when we actually get into like all the, like, the super nuance uh, of this passage, when he says receive, it's not like active future or future tense, like receive, you know, receive someday. Um, but it is active present. It is, in the Greek, it was like now, receive. You now have the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and the idea of like the disciples, I mean, this gets a little bit like splitting hairs, but like the disciples were essentially, I mean, they were saved, right? Jesus died. He just rose again. Like he had, like, he, had he had all this 
connection. The disciples were followers of Jesus. They had received the Holy Spirit. And yes, Acts um, 2 hadn't yet happened yet. So they have the Holy Spirit, um, but there's something slightly different. Now, somebody have Acts 8, uh, start verse 4. Actually, I'm going to bridge a little bit. Go to verse 14. So in Acts chapter 8, um, the story, the book of Acts is a story of the early church moving along in its advancement to the kingdom of God into the world. And, and here we have this account where, um, make sure I'm not getting myself mixed up, but I believe it was Stephen. Stephen's here at the beginning of the passage, yeah? Is it Stephen? No. Who is it? Peter, John, and Simon. Uh, start in verse, look at verse seven, 4. Uh, Philip. Philip. So Philip, okay, thank you. Philip, yeah, I was like, that doesn't sound right. Philip has just had the encounter, I believe, with the Macedonian man on the side of the road, if you know that story. And and uh, then there's this crazy thing where God teleports him, right? It's like, now he is just, like, acts as, he was here, and then now he is there. And, and he's in this place preaching the gospel. And... What it talks about here is these guys get saved. Now, this is freaking everybody out. I mean, this is blowing the lid on everyone's theology at that moment. Because even the disciples, they're so nationalistic and they're so patriotic to, to their nationality and their thing that they can't imagine that God would save anyone but the descendants of Abraham. You know, send everyone else to, you know, but, but we, we are the chosen people, right? And so here is... A story where the gospel is starting to breach kind of the, the purity of Israel. And, and the disciples are trying to figure this out too. They're like journeying through this. Like it wasn't obvious when Jesus left to them. Like they were still holding on to this nationalist pride. And, and so in this story, we start to see it starting to bust a little bit. But somebody read in verse um, 14 and go through till 17. <coughs> When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they had arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, read, that last, read the last two verses again. I want you to pay real close attention. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, what is going on? In verse 16, if you leave 16 alone, just by itself, you have every good mainstream evangelical Protestant Christian right there. They have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They have been baptized in water. They are followers of Jesus. If they die that night before Peter and John get there, they are eternally destined to be with their, their Lord and their Savior. And yet, when Peter and John come, they ask, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they say, no. There is something different. So the so evangelical Christianity that doesn't really like this contrast would say, yes, they have. And the truth is, yes, in one light, they have. In the sense of 
where we see where Jesus breathes on the disciples. I have, I have done the work, and you are now sealed. It's a legal work of sorts. The, if we want, I mean, every analogy starts to break down when we start to get into this. I mean, we're starting to mess with the, the, the purpose of God's work, his very presence in humanity, and every analogy starts to break down a little bit at some point. But, but it's essentially a legal work. He has, he has bought us at a price. He has sealed us for that day. We are his in a legal sense. But there is a whole other level of, you know, I can adopt a kid, but there's a whole other thing of getting the kid to hang out with me and spend that kind of intimacy with me. There's a legal sense of relationship, and then there is an intimacy sense of relationship. Yes. One is there, but the other has not yet been fully realized. There's more that can happen. And we still haven't fully realized the depth of that level. We've just There's just something that we have the ability to get to right now that someday, you know, Paul says, I see in the glass darkly, but someday it's going to be face-to-face, man. It's going to be like in my face, and we are going to be. So, so there is a progression here that we see, one legal, one experiential. And so in this passage, and here's the thing, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then journeyed with Paul um, and wrote the gospel or the story of Acts, which is the story of the early church. Like he's writing these stories for very specific reasons. He's trying to articulate what is happening in the theology that they're coming to realize. Yeah. He is basically articulating Pauline theology in the story of the early church because Paul's the one who he's really working with here um, in the story of Acts. And so here's Paul. We'll get to him in Corinthians and all this kind of stuff. But here's Paul, and they're, and they're wanting to just highlight, hey, we need to make sure we articulate this. They received Jesus, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so it's not the same thing. It is not the same thing. That, that Peter and John and Paul and Luke all saw from this account there was something different. Their theology was that there was a contrast between those two. Um, somebody look up Luke chapter 11, verse 11 through 13. So what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay. Um, so, yes, we all have the Holy Spirit, and we all have access to the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit which is where, what Jesus is really referring to in this context of this, of this gift of giving. I'm going to give you um, myself. All right, let's, um, man, I'm not sure how much time I want to spend. You guys doing okay? Yeah, yeah? sticking with it? Kind of wait. I know I got, I'm just going to fly through some stuff. Um, let's do... Let's go into just a little bit of this. Um, uh, yeah, before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he was given the Spirit, uh, which knowing him for ministry. Um, so even Jesus modeled this this work. You know, does Jesus have relationship with the Holy Spirit before he's baptized? Yeah, I mean he's God. I mean like that's just you know, yes, obviously. But even Jesus was baptized by John, then the Holy Spirit comes on him in power, then he goes off and begins his earthly ministry and his steps and all that stuff. There is a progression that we see in the biblical narrative that is something different. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 
Oh, okay. So that, that's there's where I was uh, trying to get to. We're gonna keep moving here. Uh, let's talk about some gift. Let's talk about gifts just for a little bit. Um, this in and of itself is a huge topic that we could really discuss and debate the nuances of some of these things. I just want to highlight a couple of things here. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given the through the Spirit, a message of wisdom to another message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Um, one thing I just kind of want to highlight here, when we start talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit, I just want to build kind of a foundation for us to work from. Um, there are two words used when translating spiritual gifts. Uh, pneumatikos is one word that is translated as gifts in our modern English translations. Uh, coming from pneuma, which is spirit, and kos, which is an adjective. Um, basically saying things the spirit does. Um, there's no noun, uh, there's no word here for gift in pneumaticos. Um, it's, it's the spirituals, uh, which doesn't really make sense linguistically. Uh, it's the things the spirit does. Um, there's another word that's used, charismata, um, which is another word used for spiritual gifts. <coughs> in its narrowest sense, it is the theological term for, an ex for the extraordinary grace given to an individual. Um, it's grace given. It's a specific kind of word. Charismatic is, is um, or charismata uh, is a is a word specifically oriented towards when someone gave you a gift of grace. Um, and in the context, it is it is always referring to the gifts that you receive with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's interesting parallels that we actually find. I don't know if you're quite tracking with me. I'm going to round about and kind of bring it to a point here in a second. But but. When we read uh, the fruit of the spirit, we all think our the fruit is you know joy, peace, patience, you know whatever, long suffering, all these things. Um, actually, that's that's a misinterpretation. In the Greek, uh, in English, fruit is singular and plural. It's just fruit, right? That's why English is so confusing to internationals. Like, wait, what? Like, should it be fruits? Yes, it should be fruits, but it's not. We don't do that. <laughs> why? I have no idea. Because we don't. We just like to confuse international students. So we we don't use fruits, but in the Greek there are. It's it's distinguished, delineated. When it talks about the fruit of the spirit, it is singular. How can it be singular? There's love, joy, peace, patience, you know. Because all of them are expressions of the one fruit that you receive, the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. He does love in a way that you don't know how to do. He gives you grace in a way that you wouldn't express. He gives you patience when you would never be patient. It's not a gift. Oh, my gift is uh, you know grace, but uh, not love. You know, so. <laughs> I'll be patient with you while I'm judging you, right? No, it's it's him. It, all of it is him. It's all. And the point isn't even those things. It's not. They're not the gifts. He is the gift. There's a parallel. We talk about the gifts of the spirit. There are not. Um, 
gifts. There is a gift, the Holy Spirit. And he does all kinds of things. Now, we kind of see here, if we take this out of context, we may think, well, it looks like you know he's given different gifts. It's talking about, um, where does it say? It's basically talking about when you come together. Yeah. The Holy Spirit's going to let you do something, and you do something, and you do something. And together, you guys are going to do something beautifully together. Um, but it's not saying, this is my superpower. <laughs> this is my superpower. I am, you know. Because, and I, I just want to highlight that a little bit because when we start talking about the things the Holy Spirit does in our life, it's important to recognize He is the gift. He is the thing that we are focused on. We're not focused on, I want to, I want to have a healing ministry or I want to, you know, I, you know, I want to, you know, whatever, prophesy. All those things are good. You know, you should pursue them. Same the Bible says, Paul says, you know, pursue after the greater things the Holy Spirit does in the world um, or in people's lives. But, but, even that language is highlighting, like, it's not like, this is your gift, right? You sound like you're going to watch the Avengers movie and like, hey, this is my superpower, right? Like, no, this, your, because that's the fear sometimes. And that's the little thing I just want to squash a little bit. The fear is like, okay, I'm going to limit God. This is what I do. This is where he works with me. This is how he works with me. He doesn't use me in that way. That's for so-and-so over there. They do that. No, he will do whatever you give him freedom to do. So if you're not expressing love, it's not because it's not your gift. It's because you're not letting him work in that way. And then when it comes to the charismatics or the pneumaticos, it's not that you have this gift and you don't have that gift. It's that you have learned to let the spirit flow in this way. You have not learned to let the spirit flow in that. And so you should continue to grow. And that's for me. That's for me. And I've done those. Things. I mean, I've, you know, I've interpreted tongues. I speak in tongues. I've you know prayed for people and you know healings and things. All the prophecy is, yeah, all the time. But... But I don't have a you know, superpower. Mm-hmm. I have someone who has a superpower. <laughs> right? yeah, I have a relationship with someone yeah. who Come is on. that. Yeah. And so we just want to just, I just like to highlight that in this moment because when we start talking about the things the Spirit does in our life, um, it's important to realize everything is about getting to Him, getting close to Him, letting Him have freedom, letting Him have um, dominion over our life. And He's going to use you how he wants to use you and how you're willing to let him use you. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to translate this in the biblical sense, so you know, you take this with a grain of salt, but I, I hear accounts oftentimes of people that just talk about uh, they feel like the Lord told them you know, I was reading this one story a while ago, like, the uh, Lord gave this man a word for the church community, and and he said, I'm God, I'm not the right person. Um, to give this message, I'm, you know, all these reasons, I'm not, I'm not the right person. And actually, God says, "Well, <clears throat> you weren't my first choice, but the other two people before you said never surrendered to sharing this message, so you said yes, right? Are we? Like, he, yeah, don't be the person that said God's prompting and saying, yeah. use, do this, and you said, no, I'm scared, no, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that, no, it's not, that's not really you got, no, just somehow." I remember when I was in YWAM, I'll share a quick story here, but um, I was youth of the mission, and I was, I had this deep walk with the Lord and this deep love for the Lord, but I was a small town, shy country boy that, you know, I, I just was, I was super awkward, I was, I, I mean, everybody says that, everybody says that, I was, I, I mean, I mean, I know it's amazing to think that, given the 
the suave charismatic person I am. But you know, I, I, let me tell you. So, so, but, but seriously, I was just full of all kinds of insecurity, and fear. I mean, if a pretty girl smiled at me, I just like. Uh, <laughs> no, no, just walk away. You know, like, you know, actually, yeah, actually, I'm not gonna tell that story because then, okay. Anyway, so <laughs> I had those moments, and everybody just laughed at me because they, they thought it was hilarious. So, like, hey, get the pretty girl, you know, talk to Nate. He'll just watch them fumble, right? You know, so, so, um, so I was in YWAM, and that was really kind of a stepping stone for me because the Lord was like, okay, I'm teaching you how to learn to step out. We're kind of doing these things and steps. Well, I just kept feeling like the Lord was pushing me to share a word with someone. And I was petrified. I mean, absolutely terrified. Um, and I wouldn't do it. I just, no. <laughs> no, God. Use somebody else. And actually, he would. I, I remember this one time I was sitting there, and the Lord said, talk to this person and say this. No, no, no. Eventually, someone else walked up, and I watched, and I gave the very word that I was supposed to, you know, so I was like, I became that person that got skipped because I wasn't useful. So, so here I was, and, and, and I'm just learning this. I'm wrestling with this, and I have this story. It's really funny, so I'll tell it, but um, we would sleep in these, um, kind of barracks-like rooms. We'd be like 20 guys in a room, three guys in this room. We'd just kind of just bunk beds on bunk beds. And I slept on this one top bunk, and and three or four, actually maybe five guys, were like getting together. I was already in bed, I was already asleep. And these other four or five guys got together below where my bunk was, and were just having a little prayer meeting before they went to bed. And and they were just praying, and they said amen, and they were about to go off to bed, no big deal. And as soon as they said amen, I sat up. Now, I, I remember none of this, this is all that I heard second hand. I sat up, I put my hands in the air, and I began to prophesy over one of these young men. And I began to share, I began to pray against the demonic that was attacking him in this way, in this situation that was happening in his life, and praying for freedom in the Lord in this thing. And everybody was like, look at the freak. Nate is like crazy. What is going on? They like thought I was like, they didn't know what was going on at first. They were like, is he... What? Nate, hey, like, like he's asleep. What? What's going on? Like, like I, I was out. My eyes were closed. I was out. I was just, but I began to just prophesy over this guy. And everybody was just kind of like, what's going on? Except for the guy that I was praying for, who began to bawl. Because he began to say, I have, and what he told everybody after that, he's like, I have been wrestling with some stuff that I have not been sharing. And Nate just revealed it. And uh, I need you guys to pray for me over this. And when I was done, I laid my hands down, laid back down. <laughs> <laughs> like, no big deal. You know, just a regular old you know, Tuesday night in the bunkhouse. So, you know, I wake up the next day, and I'm like groggy, and I'm walking. I'm not a morning person, let me tell you. And I'm like walking out kind of like, just trying to wake up today. I'm going to the bathroom. I keep seeing a couple of the guys like whispering. And like, I'm like, fly open or something. <laughs> and then one of the guys walks up to me and says, Nate, do you remember anything about last night? I said, no. What do you mean? And he told me the story. I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> Get out of here, right? And so it was kind of a lesson for me in this. God basically was saying, Nate, I will use you. 
If I have to knock you out, I will use it. <laughs> but I would have a lot more fun if you do it with me. And so, so when we come to, when it comes to the gifts, just remember, it's not about whether I have received the gift. Guess what? You have the Holy Spirit and you receive the gift. It's not, oh, I don't know if I can pray for that person to be healed. Because I don't know if I have I work in that way. Yes, you do. Because he does. It's not about that. I don't know if I can share a word. I don't know if that's my thing. Like, yes, it is your thing because it's his thing. It's not your thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So just learn to have freedom, to let, to relax in wrestling with whether or not this is my thing or not my thing, whether this is my superpower, whether this is my thing that I can have pride in. It's not. Because it's not your thing. It is his. All right. Um... Yeah, there actually is a word for gift in the Greek, Doria. Um, um, oh, well, there is a gift. Yeah, there is a word for gift in the Greek, and it's never actually used in the Bible um, in the context of the Holy Spirit. Um, okay. Let's, let's move on. Alright, so there are some common things the Holy Spirit does. This is also why there is no um, cohesive list in the New Testament of the gifts. When Paul articulates, there are a couple of lists, but they're not the same. Even though Paul's writing them, they don't all sync up. Um, Because it's not the point. It's not the point, like, this is the exhaustive list of all the things God does. The point is... These are the things that he's been doing with you guys. Uh, here's some things that he's been trying to do with you guys. Like, you know, what you know, it's, it's just the idea that he is working. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are common good threads, yeah. right? There are common themes. Um, healing, for one, is a common theme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, we could say like, well, healing blindness or healing, you know, your, you know, I don't know. Um, whatever, you know, you can heal. Well, we just kind of use a junk drawer term, like, well, whenever God does something biologically in our physical being, then we just call it healing. So, um, there are common threads um, that that we see. And one of them is tongues, and it is the most controversial one, so I'm going to be as controversial as I can tonight, and so we're going to talk about tongues! Let's get into this. This is so much fun! You guys having fun? Awesome. Okay, First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse one through five. Um, for, uh, follow the way of love and eagerly, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit or the things the Spirit does, especially prophecy. So it's not that you can't define what He does, right? There are there's ways of defining things that He does. Commonly. For everyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries to this, by the Spirit. That's why it's so weird to us. What the world's going on? But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Okay, so I'm using this just as a as a baseline um, for for this conversation about tongues. Um, 
Well, I'll back up just for a second, just to lay a little more groundwork. If you want to, I'm not going to go into all these, but if you'd like to look up um, Acts chapter 2, <coughs> verse 1 through 4, Acts chapter 8, <coughs> 17 and 18, is, it's in purge. Uh, Acts chapter 10, 45 through 46, and Acts chapter 19, verse 6. Um, these are the times that Acts highlights um, baptism of the Holy Spirit as a, as a moment in time, as a beginning. And each one, Acts 8, it doesn't articulate directly, but it is inferred based on the context of the passage that that's exactly what's happening. Um, each of those times, tongues is there. Um, so Acts um, is the pattern, it is the norm that we see when the baptism of the Holy Spirit first begins to work. Begins to work. Um, so, there's no example of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Scripture where tongues isn't um, explicit or inferred. Um, we say it this way in the outpost. Um, tongues is the typical, it's the normal way that the Holy Spirit begins to work in us first. Um, I, won't, I won't go so far as to say like God absolutely cannot do anything but that, but it is... It is the biblical pattern. It is the way that, even experientially, we've seen. And there's some reasons why. Um, there's some reasons we can even deduce for why God would do it this way. And, and we're going to get into a little bit of that. But the normal thing, the normal thing that the Holy Spirit does, the way He works first, um, in the charismatic way, is in tongues. Now we talked about you know, Acts two. It's really just like the unity of the believers, the empowerment for the witness. All those kind of things are happening. Um, as a result, as an expression, as a consequence to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And those don't have any charismatics. But in the charismatic, in the supernatural, tongues is the pattern that we see most often. Um, and we're going to talk about that because it's controversial and awkward and weird. And I love it. All right. Um, <laughs> tongues seems sometimes strange to us, especially if we haven't grown up in a church culture that modeled it. Right. If you ever have like walked in uh, to a, a circle or something where we're maybe in Chi Alpha, we try to be conscientious of our environment. But if you've come around, like some of us on staff or student leaders or something, and like some of them are like praying in tongues, and you're just like, what in the world's on? Um, it can seem very strange. Um, and, and for most people, we would take all of them except for this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, healing, praise God, that's awesome. Uh, prophecy, sure, that sounds really cool. You know, signs and wonders. I'd like to see you know clouds stop raining because I'm walking by. You know, like, <laughs> it's actually a story. I I grew up. I remember this. There was a story where um, they these ministers were trying to get to this village, and there was there was a torrential uh, tsunami downpour, and they could see it ten feet in front of them, ten feet behind them, and ten feet to the sides of the jungle that they were walking on. The water was not touching them, right? They're just walking through this tsunami um, to get to the village, right? So you get, you're like, hey, that's cool. I would totally do that. <laughs> right? I grew up in Oregon, so I'm like, I would love that. My life. Um, my wife is from Salem. She especially is just like rain always. So, but, but tongues, tongues. I totally without that. The thing is. There's some key reasons why we need 
God to work him, his power through us in this way, and why it's so long for it to be the foundational starting point uh, in God, uh, God's work in us in this way. So we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that. Um, so, okay, I may be jumping around with these scripture verses here, but a um, couple of reasons. Uh, while it can seem confusing to us at first, I'm going to talk a little bit about tongues. It is, in fact, deeply important. It is, in fact, uh, if you understand it correctly, um, at least is in part why God would work the way that he does in our lives. For one, one reason why God starts with tongues most normally. Tongues is the only gift that's unique in the New Testament. If you ever thought about that, caught that. Yeah. Um, signs and wonders, sure. I mean, God stopped the sun, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Healings, no problem. Prophecy, all the time. Goodness, that's like the whole Old Testament. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> tongues, nowhere. It's the only thing that we see in the New Testament that isn't also already in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> it became a powerful sign, um, really, I would probably think, for the people who experienced tongues, but certainly for the church, uh, the Jewish church, to say they have God. Like, that was the thing that convinced them. It's really fascinating. That is the thing. It wasn't like, we prayed a prayer, we got baptized in water. That didn't, you know, that didn't convince anybody. They're like, oh, you're just, you know, you're <laughs> heretics, and you know, whatever, you need to get circumcised, and everybody's like, you know, so, praise God, he ended that. <laughs> so, but, but, um, but, tongues, when they begin, when the Christians who are followers of Jesus, who are Jews, suddenly realized that Gentiles were expressing an experience with God with tongues, it flipped a switch in their mind of what God was doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what convinced them. Yeah. And probably convince the people who experience it. I mean, I know for me, yeah, the expression of tongues helps solidify mm-hmm. God is is working in my life. Mm-hmm. God is doing something. That's right. And uh, you know, there there are there are different experiences we can experience just deeply profound um, times in the presence of God. Um, but when we begin to work in something, when we begin to express something. And we begin to partner with God in something. That is what begins to solidify in our heart. God, you you are flowing through me in this way. I am becoming this temple where your presence is flowing into the world as I act, as I express um, worship to you. Um, it's a common experience throughout history. Uh, Followers of Christ. It unifies me with men and women of Christ throughout history. Um, second, it is also the only pneumaticos or charismata that the Holy Spirit does in us that the Bible says actually edifies you. Um, and that's where I was actually trying to get to this passage here, uh, skipping out myself a little bit. But, but the point here, Paul says, is actually prophecy is better for the church, right? So I'd rather you guys like take care of other people. But I would like, I want you to speak in tongues. And why? Because what does he say? What is his argument? It edifies you. It edifies themselves. 
The only gift that's articulated in Scripture that actually edifies you is tongues. Why would that be? Um, probably for a couple of reasons here. You know, healing, that's for the person you pray for. Signs, you know, wonders, those things are a gift. Prophecy, you know, that's like starting story we started with here, right? Um, but tongues edifies me. Yeah. Um, now, Paul has to kind of correct the Corinthians because they're treating it as like they're kind of abusing their their time together by just, you know, they see it as like the highest thing the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. And then it's just weirding everybody out, right? Because the point isn't for everybody else. Yeah. And so when they're getting together, they're all speaking in tongues like, hey, this is awesome. This is so you know unique and strange, but it's doing something in me. We'll talk about why. But they kind of, you know, they were just like together and they were trying to figure it out. And they were all like, hey, this is a great gift. And I want to like exercise this in front of all my friends. And Paul's like, stop. This is doing nothing for anyone, right? Because all the other gifts were good. All the other gifts were for the church or for the unbeliever or for, but tongues edifies you. Um, but Paul so valued what tongues did in himself that he spoke tongues more than anyone in Corinth, um, even though the Corinthians were most fascinated by it. Um, he says, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, he says, Paul goes on to say, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he's got like you kind of just you know boom drop you know he just got like I am the expert I am the expert here I speak in tongues more than all of you so um, let me tell you let me let me tell you this place okay um, so how does it edify us James three three through eight says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Mm -hmm. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a, smoke, or a small spark. The tongue is also is a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of poison. So how does tongues edify us? By taking the thing that is most unruly, most destructive, and most uncontrollable, and giving it to the Lord and saying, you do something with this. Yeah. I keep screwing it up. Why don't you start working? And tongues is, we don't understand it, but that's but that's partially the point because my spirit tends to. My spirit yeah. senses what the Lord is doing. Mm -hmm. But what I'm learning is how to surrender. Mm -hmm. What I'm learning that's is good. how to, you know, if you want to prophesy, great. If you speak in tongues and you don't understand, you know how much easier it is to prophesy when God gives you insight into what he's saying? <laughs> tongues, once you've exercised tongues, once you've learned to surrender the very mouthpiece of your life, speaking as his mouthpiece into the world becomes easy. Mm -hmm. But the only way he can do that is by taking your mind out of the equation for a while. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I'm going to take the mind out of the equation. You don't understand, but you're just learning to surrender. 
you know, and we kind of see this scripture, I think it's Winky that maybe says, you know, there's, in a very different context, you know, he talks about, like, trusting God starts with him saying obey, we say okay, and then later he explains why, maybe. So there's that sense of, I don't understand, but I'm learning to obey despite yeah. my understanding. It's the same way with Thomas. Good, yeah. I don't understand what has happened, but because I don't understand, that's the point. Yeah. He has to get the mind out of the equation, otherwise we'll never learn to lean on him, never learn to surrender to him. But as we learn to surrender to him, as we learn to obey what he is speaking through us and to us, that is, that is edifying us. And it's not even for the other people. That's not the point. That's why it's the only one that edifies me, because I'm, it's just in my prayer closet. Now, it can be in a corporate <coughs> setting. It's not bad. Some people are like, well, I heard someone else speak in tongues, so that was like a, a sin or something like that. No, Paul is correcting an abuse of a heart in Corinthians. He's basically saying, when you're together, this is going to weird out non-believers. I'm just, I just know this, right? You know, he's like speaking to the kids. You know, he's like, ah, this is just not going to be good. <laughs> so, you know, he's giving a correction. But in a safe context, you know, we do, we will speak in tongues and we'll do that. But, but in a safe context of saying like, okay, we are all followers of Christ and, and we're going. But, but the point is, I am learning to surrender to God. I am learning to actively surrender to God. And if I want to learn to surrender to God in my tongue, then I can learn to surrender to God in my actions or in my words. Um, what is prayer? Why we pray? How should we pray? C.S. Lewis um, talked about the two-dimensional flatlander uh, trying to understand a three-dimensional world. It is clear that in each case, what is happening is the lower medium can be understood only if we know the higher medium, like a piano player versus um, an orchestra playing a piece. So we have Romans 8. Oh, here we go. Eight. I don't know what the title is. I was speaking in tongues with my feet. <laughs> 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 I don't know what's going on there. But um, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless words. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Um... It makes sense that God starts working on us before he starts using us to work on others. And that again is why we often see this. Now, the issue is, and I get the issue, the issue sometimes is, um, well, we, inter- we overemphasize tongues. Um, and Paul here highlights, like, yeah, hey, I want to put it in its place, right? Tongues is not the most important thing. Um, <clears throat> but... It is, frankly, the safest thing. So it's like, you know, if I, I get my kid to ride a bike, I start with the training wheels yes. on. Yeah. And then I work the training wheels off. Um, and so understand, when we talk about tongues, it is always something that is crucial. It's not like, oh, I've moved on to better things. It's like, no, I'm constantly communing with God. I'm constantly communing with the Spirit in my life. But at the beginning, it's so vital to do that and to start there before you ever try to do anything else, to, to let them go there. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues are not synonymous. Let me just kind of debunk that. It's not synonymous. It's not the same thing. But one does have to do with the other, even if the other doesn't have to serve the one. So baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues is part of that. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is this empowerment of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that is working in my yeah. life, and I am learning 
as I, you know, Paul says, fan in the flame, right? I'm exercising the surrender of God in my life mm-hmm. to let him work. But I'm going to start with the training wheels because tongues doesn't screw anybody else up, right? You know, it doesn't do anything. You know, like I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I always say, go for it. If it doesn't, if it's not going, if it's no risk, it's not going to hurt anybody. Just step out and whatever you feel like the Lord's saying. But you know, if you have a word, like, hey, the word is like really dealing with someone else, and they're going to like take that and have to assess, like, is this the word of God? Like, that's serious. Yeah. But tongues, like, I'm just like, it's safe. It's just me and God, and I can kind of step out and ex- just ex- practice. Dare I say, practice. Um, but I can practice letting him flow, letting the flow mm-hmm. go in my life. Because it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to do anything. You know, God is real, and the sun will stand still. You better know God is, like, you know, working right there, right? Or else you're just going to look like an idiot, right? Like, that's, you know, I knew there was no God. No, this one is just, just in my prayer closet. I'm just being with him, just flying. Okay. Um, and we talked about... Was it Luke 11 where it talks about Jesus says, Who would give their son a snake? Yeah. The thing to remember is this is not something that you have to conjure up. This is not something that you have to like fight for. This is not something you have to convince God to give you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is something you have to ask for. You have to ask. It's not something that you have to conjure. Now sometimes I you know, I know this pastor who's passed away years ago, but I, I always reference this in so many different ways. It's so simple but so true. He said, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and I tell the Lord, God, I love you. 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 And he says, sometimes I have to say it about 70 times before I start to really mean it, right? Like, there is that place of, like, God, I am, I'm getting to the place where I actually mean this. God, I, I want you to work through me. Not really. Please don't make it awkward. Please don't tell me to do anything that I don't want to do. Uh, no, no, yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, God, I want, you know, so we, sometimes there is that, like, that seeking, right? There is some, at some level, like, God, I, I want this. And God's like, no, you don't. You know, but, but, but there is that place. But when we come to God, say, God, I just want this. He's like, okay. There, it's like a father to his son saying, I'm not going to give you a snake. It's not, you don't have to conjure anything. You don't have to fight for this. You don't have to convince me. I want this for you. Now, just want me to flow through you more than you want to feel cool or fear awkwardness or yeah. you know, whatever it may hold you back just step out and that's where tongues really helps too because the spiritual and the physical interconnect in our faith always are we saved by baptism of water no but God pretty strongly articulated that you need to get baptized why because whenever there's a spiritual reality without a physical expression he made a physical expression to express the spiritual reality. And so the physical and the spiritual are always meant to be interconnected, intertwined. And so tongues is kind of that thing, it's baptism, that, that is the physical expression. So sometimes it's, it's the chicken and the egg thing. Like, what gets me to that place of really learning to surrender to God and experiencing the Holy Spirit in that new way? It's not tongues, but if I step out in tongues, sometimes that kind of reinforces it. Right, I'm stepping out, and I'm liking the kitty in the pool, and all of a sudden, like I am just letting him speak through my tongue, and that really is cool and freaking me out. And now I'm really opening up my spirit to the flow of God in my life. Now I'm really experiencing like whole another level of God's presence. And now I'm really speaking in tongues. I'm crying, using my hands. I've never done that before. You know, so it's just you just it kind of it kind of feeds itself, right? It's kind of like the spiral effect. 
But the physical reinforces the spiritual, right? Baptism of water does not create salvation. And yet, when we step out in front of all of our friends and I say, I am a follower of Jesus, and I get dunked, it reinforces that commitment that is a spiritual thing. So the physical reinforces the spiritual, and it, and it keeps spiraling that way. So we see that in times. Okay, that's probably enough of all of that. Um, questions? Questions? Thoughts, questions, yes. What does it mean that it edifies yourself? Mm. Yeah, no, good question. Um, edification means, you know, it's basically a word uh, to build up, to strengthen. Um, when, when I am speaking in tongues, it is building my faith. It is building my intimacy. It is strengthening my relationship with God. So edifying just simply means broad stroke idea of I'm when when you are sick and I pray for you and you are healed, that edifies you, right? That makes your world better, your life better, more enjoyable. But when I start speaking in tongues, it makes my walk with God better. It makes my experience with Him more intimate. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What other questions? Questions, objections, concerns, all that. Um, if, and if you want to go. Um, any other thoughts, questions, concerns, comments? Come on, give me, give me something hard. Give me something real. I know I didn't do that good. I mean, I know I'm pretty good at. You know, I just. I say those things in jest. I don't Otherwise, everything's really just. Um, but anyway, any questions? All right, um, no, I'm just going to give it a minute longer. I'm going to be awkward. Okay, come on. Anybody got anything? Okay, I got one. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you're kind of saying, like, tongues is first, and then you, like, usually healings happens and stuff, right? Those can, yeah. Like, those type of things. Or whatever so, like, the Lord wants to do, yeah. I don't know. I guess, like, the Old Testament, then, like, I'm confused on, like, how that can mm. happen. Mm -hmm. Like, why is it? Is it just different now because, like, the Holy Spirit is here? Like the yes. Baptism? Okay. Okay. Do you guys have another two hours? Because we can really get into that. Fine. Okay. And to be honest, theologians still kind of debate some of this. And we, we tread gently when we come to some of these areas. I mean, it's sort of like when we start talking about the atonement. Like, we believe that Jesus died on the cross and that somehow redeemed us into a relationship with God that we didn't have before. But how? There's like there's a number of different theories of that and we kind of walk gently when we walk into this because we're, we're starting to gaze on the throne room of God and the grandeur starts to fill us. And we're, to say, I get this, is kind of like, okay, okay, you are... But... What seems, the, the easiest way we can say it is, the, in the Old Testament, um, Moses had a situation where, where um, a number of men, you know, he was basically leading Israel, and it was too much for him. He was just exhausted and overworked. And, and so his father-in-law says, hey, you need to get help. You need to. So, so Moses sets aside some of the leaders, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they began to like, prophesy. 
And uh, Moses and somebody was in there at the meeting, right? But he also received the Holy Spirit. He was like somewhere else, but he still he also, you know, everybody was like, hey, he wasn't at the meeting. He's not supposed to be doing that. And Paul and Moses, you know, right? sometimes we're like, yeah, you're not supposed to be doing that. You should be speaking in tongues. You weren't at the prayer meeting last night. So you okay, yeah, you're missing the point. But, but what Moses says is, I wish all of God's people yes. received the Holy Spirit. Yes. So there was this, he was working, but there was something that was hindering him from working in the way that Moses for kind of projected or foresaw or hoped for, and the New Testament saw come into fruition. You know, the disciples cast out demons, healed, all kinds of things before they received Acts 2. Um, and, so, and so how that's different, we know it is, but sometimes we're like a kid. Like, I know, you know, Night is dark and day is light. Why? I don't really know if I fully understand the cosmos and the rotation of the earth through gravity and what that is in the light. So, at some level, we don't fully know. At some level, what's, what, I would, what I would project is basically because of our sinfulness that had not yet been covered, um, the Holy Spirit could come. But there seems to always be, we talked sort of about this with Abraham a couple weeks ago, if you remember, but there seems to be, in God's presence, um, there seems to always be this sense of justice that is expressed in that moment. And we see this with the Old Testament, that the people who had the Holy Spirit on them, if they sinned or they screwed up, like, there were some issues. There were like instant, I mean, major issues. Mm-hmm. Like God is judging Israel right now. I mean, it's like, whoa! It almost seems like a little bit like extreme compared to like everyone else's sin. Because it's like, well, I mean, you know, everyone else is doing this too, but this guy, because he has the presence of God, justice must be served. Which is kind of the scary thing when all humanity comes before the throne of God. Mm-hmm. Justice in that moment will be served. Mm-hmm. And so it's not to be scared of him. But it is to recognize the reverence of a just God. When we come into his presence, um, justice will be served. And and when sin, and that's the idea, we are the temple, one of the ways that the New Testament articulates our relationship with the Holy Spirit. But if we t- think about the temple, the Old Testament, the temple, I mean, at least at least Jewish heritage argues that like they used to write, you know, tie a rope around the priest if they went to the Holy of Holies. They would tie a rope around the priest with the bells around their sash so that if they didn't hear the bells ringing for a while they would yank on the rope once. If it didn't move, they'd drug out the priest. <coughs> like, so there's this sense of like the justice of God, the holiness of God being served in his presence. Um, in the Old Testament, yes, God would work, but he, he's like, I gotta keep some distance. I gotta keep myself. And there's a number of passages where God talks about my distance is. I have there is this distance. We kind of get confused by that. It's like, well, isn't he everywhere? Well, yes, but there's a difference. What we're talking about there's a difference between the Shekinah and his manifest his manifest presence and his omnipresence. There's two different things. You know, God tells Moses like, hey, I'm gonna actually meet you over in in you know the Promised Land because I think I may have to judge you if I'm like with you and it's gonna be bad. And Moses is like, please don't, I can't do this by myself, please say it. And he's like, okay. But then he does, he has to deal with the sin as they keep going and all these things happen. So, so there is a certain level of before Christ's death that brought us to this place of having this freedom in God. The Holy Spirit was working, but he wasn't able to work in the same way with everyone because, because he would be, yeah. 
judging us. But now we live in this ability to have grace because he's paid that for us. Does that kind of help? Yeah. Make sense? Okay. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if I fully get it always either. But, um, you know, God will use a donkey, you know, at times. You know, he, he, you know, he does what he needs to do in the world. But uh, the freedom for the temple is a really interesting conversation. If you start studying temple, what was a temple to the Jewish mind? It was like this rift between two dimensions that were starting to intermix. Um, it was this place where the spiritual and the physical started to intermingle. And, um, and it was you know, a holy place. And God is saying, you are a holy place. That's why John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, one that got closest to God without Jesus' redemption. But now that Jesus is redeemed, every one of you have access to the way that he could never. Because now it's not about your holiness or your righteousness. It's about his. You take his place. And now you have access the way he does. You used to have access based on the way you could justify your access. Now you can have access based on the way that Jesus could justify his access, which I'll tell you, that's always better. <laughs> so we had in the Old Testament, but not the way we can have it now. We become the rift. And that's where the power, talking about the power, because in the power, now we become the temple. Now we become the place where heaven and earth, or heaven, yeah, heaven and the physical start to intermingle. It's our, it's us. We become the, the mobile temple. We become, really the better analogy is, is the tabernacle in the desert that was moving. We become the thing that is moving in the world. And we invite heaven into situations to pray for people or talk to people. Or when you know, Jesus has this crazy passage where he says, when you enter a house, let your peace rest on it. But if they don't accept you, let your peace return to you. Like it's like somehow like the force that's like advancing, right? Like, but like what? What is that? But, but he's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And there is this idea of we become the gateway between the two realities. We become. We're a strange hybrid. We're always meant to be the strange hybrid between the two realities. We are animal. You know, we are. We're, we're a mammal. We are an animal. We are, you know, we reproduce the same way that, you know, as weird as that sounds, but we reproduce the same way everybody else does. You know, this, you know, we, you know we, we are physical. But we are also an angel in the sense that we are also a spiritual, sentient being. We are this strange hybrid. Like, my dog, Ranger, I tell you, he's not an angel, but he is, <laughs> he is an animal, right? <laughs> there is, there, we have, we have the, maybe they, we don't fully understand always the angelic thing, but as an analogy that makes sense, like, we have the spiritual without the physical, and we have the physical without the spiritual. We are the strange hybrid where the two realities start to merge. And we were always meant to be the flow, the place where the kingdom of God flowed into the world and where the worship and praise of the world came up and the glory to God, that we ministered to him. That's why something just feels right when we worship, because we're starting to link back into our calling. So... Anyway, and that gets into spiritual warfare and all kinds of other things that we just don't have time for. So, um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense? Fair enough, okay, cool. Fun conversations, ask me about some of those other things later. Okay, um, other questions? Any of my staff that they want to chime in to, feel free. I don't have to be the answer man. Um, yeah? So in verse 5, part A, how it talks about how Paul was saying, now I want all of you to speak in tongues. Yeah. He was talking to all his members. Does that translate to all of the current believers <coughs> in the modern day, like all the people who have the Holy Spirit, like are they mandated to speak in tongues as well? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, whenever it's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus says, and this is for you and all those who are far off, um, so it, it's the idea that the Holy Spirit 
excuse me, he has never ceased to work in the world in that same way. Nothing has changed in our, excuse me, tacos are stirring my stomach here, but um, nothing has changed that we still are in this season of, of the same access the disciples had at Acts 2, we have today. Nothing has changed in that. Now, there is, um, there is a common uh, argument, theological argument called the cessation theory, um, basically where they try to argue that uh, the things the Holy Spirit was doing was for the early, early church, but nobody outside of that, mostly for the disciples, maybe the early church, but nobody else. Um, but there's no biblical argument for it. Um, you'll try to, they'll try to find some passages that try to sort of link up with that, but it's really where they're trying to take their theology to fit the biblical narrative, not using the biblical narrative to create their theology. Um, and I'm not trying to minimize anybody who's come from that background. I'm not trying to belittle um, some of the, the godly people that wrestle with that. But, but um, yeah, the biblical narrative uh, is very clear that, that Christ uh, is given the Holy Spirit for the church throughout these years until he comes again. So, so yes, anything that Paul says to the church in Corinth or to Ephesus or to anyone else, Galatia, uh, is the same for us. That's why we can take the Bible and say the commands of God are the commands for us today because it's nothing's changed. Um, this is this is where we are. This is the situation that we're in. Someday it will change. Um, you know, we'll come into the new heaven, new earth, and uh, it will change. But it won't change in like erasing this. It'll just you know we're playing in the kiddie pool. And, God's offering the ocean someday. Well, you know, so. <clears throat> so that's the other thing. Don't be afraid of this because guess what? This is this is your destiny. You know, you're just learning to work in you know before my dad ever gave me a rifle, he gave me a BB gun, right? So it's kind of like hey, let me use this, you know, because there's a lot more to come. Okay. Any other thoughts, questions? Yeah. Um. So, like, from what I understand or, like, what I've grown up hearing is that, like, when you first believe and first are saved, um, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and, like, helps you and, like, guides you, I guess. Are you, I'm still kind of confused. Um, are you, like, saying that we don't yet receive the Holy Spirit until we are baptized in the Holy Spirit? Or? Okay, so, yes and no. That's, that's the idea that Jesus said, hey, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so the Holy Spirit is still here. Um, you are a daughter of Christ. You have been sealed. When you pass away, you will be with him. And when he returns, you will be there with him. In the sense that can he work um, in your life without that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, and this is a compare a, a Christian who hasn't received the Holy Spirit to anything else. But, but I mean, you know, God used donkey. He used, uh, you know, non-believers even at times. Like he gave them words and things like that per se. But, so it's not like he can't work in the world without you being filled with the Holy Spirit. You, but it's a little bit back to that analogy of the Old Testament. It's like, do you want him to work with you the way that he worked with the Old Testament? Like, yeah, you kind of like zoomed in and did something and then kind of zoomed out. Um, or do you want him to work in the way that he did with the apostles in the early church, which was a very more engrossing experience. So it's not to say... Again, this is not to say, like, hey, you're a better Christian or a worse Christian because you have or haven't spoken in tongues. That's not the point. That's never the point. Our identity, our value, our security is simply based on what he's done, not what we do. Mm -hmm. But working within 
that have we learned to leverage our identity and all that it has to offer. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, yes, there is a difference. There is a difference when, when Peter and John went to this city and they were Christians and they loved Jesus and they baptized in Jesus. They had not received the Holy Spirit. So there is a difference between those two that we see. Um, that's the argument that, that the writer of Acts and the, and, um, the narrative of the early church is trying to delineate. Is, um, they, they, it's, it's us in the modern church who have kind of so separated those two um, that it takes us decades sometimes before we ever get to that walk with the Lord. For the early church, they didn't delineate it too hard because you got saved. Okay, well, let's get you baptized uh, in the water. I'm free next Tuesday. You good? Okay, then we're, well, let's, why don't we just pray for you uh, today for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Like, it's just like, yeah, let's just get this thing rolling, right? So they didn't spend a lot of time, like, debating and wrestling. They're just kind of like, we're just, we're just, this is a normal Christian life. We're just kind of walking you through some of these steps to keep you going. Um, we kind of hold back on some of those initial steps that we're meant to do. It's like a Christian who's never gotten baptized, and 10 years later says, okay, I feel like I'm ready. It's not. It's not sinful or anything. It's just like, well, okay. I mean, you probably should have just made that commitment or done that public profession long ago. But it's not the end of the world. It's just, okay. So the early church, they were just like, hey, let's just get this thing going. Let's just keep it rolling here. So, hey, you got saved. You know, Peter and James or Peter and John or whatever. It's like, okay, let's let's get down there. Let's go give them the Holy Spirit as well. You know, there's like countless other examples of that same idea. So, is, is God your father? Absolutely. No question. I mean, and you have that kind of future and access to him in that way. But you don't have the access to the sense of maybe like the temple or the Holy Spirit where like you are becoming that flow in the same way. Um, you can, maybe the old, like kind of the Old Testament thing. I was talking to Jeremy Anderson and I asked him, I was like, you know, because he, he's kind of the guy who like does like the spiritual readings tense and like came up with that whole idea. Like, And he's just one of those profoundly used guys I've ever seen and very proficient in walking with people through that from the Holy Spirit and stuff. And so I, I asked him, I was like, well, do you try to get people to experience baptism of the Holy Spirit before like they um, ever try to pray for somebody to have a word or something? He's like, no. I just let them experience the level of, of God that they're ready for and it'll make them hungry to have that much more. And they'll dive in deep into the pool pretty quick after starting to walk in that. So, you know, again, this is, we're trying not to overcomplicate this. God's just saying, here, this is yours. Do you want to take it or not? But I can give my son the keys to my car, and that opens up a whole level of potential. <laughs> right, well, I know, I know, he's four, so it doesn't make sense. But someday, watch well, that. He's gonna yeah, someday, <laughs> I can give him the keys of the car, and it's my car, it's my power, it's my insurance, it's my gas, it's my money, and I am empowering him to do something that he can't do otherwise. He doesn't, it doesn't make him more my son, because he has my car, but it does change the way that he can now express his sonship, if you want to push the analogy, in, in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. Can I add to that? Yeah. So um, I think what's so important to remember and everything that he's sharing is just so good, it's so right on. What's important to remember is that verse, Acts 1-8, which says that the purpose of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is so that they would be witnesses. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think so often we confuse 
we think that this is like maybe some secondary experience like like hey you could drive uh, a Honda Accord but God's offering you a Corvette you know it's like well you don't need to drive the Corvette because you have the Honda Accord <laughs> and so it's like you know you, it, it almost comes across that way but I don't think that's necessarily how Jesus meant to portray the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he's saying look like if you guys are going to witness and witnessing for Think about what witnessing meant for the disciples. Like, it meant persecution on a level they were not even able to fathom at that point. It meant standing up to the religious rulers of their day and saying, you guys are all wrong. And, and having the boldness to do that, you know, it's, it, it's having the authority to, uh, to see the world changed in a generation. You know, just wild stuff. And so... You look at Peter's life, I think Peter is the best example. Mm -hmm. Peter before the baptism of the Holy Spirit and Peter after, two completely different men almost. What's what's the, the turning point? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit because when he gets up and he preaches after the day of Pentecost or on the day of Pentecost, he's full of boldness and authority that he completely lacked when he betrayed Jesus. Right? He couldn't stand under the pressure then. And so when we're talking about the, the power of witness... The boldness that you're going to need on campus next fall, um, this this gift should be highly sought after. This secondary experience that, that's what that's what this is. It's it, even Peter experienced healing miracles before before he um, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He delivered people from demons even. So what the difference is that the key thing is like he needed this power, this boldness to witness. Mm-hmm. And everyone who's experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit through church history can testify that they, had, they just had this new boldness come over them. And in fact, even on our campus, the boldest ministries, if I can say that, the ones that are most active in outreach daily, also adhere to this belief in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, does that make sense? So I just wanted to throw that out there just, just as a reminder of like, just what this does in the believer's life, in addition to the things that Nate has elevated and talked about with intimacy and edification um, and, and, and a gateway, really, to using, being, using the other gifts as well as the girls. So I think the thing that I struggle with the most is, like, explaining the importance of the Trinity to people. Because, like, I understand it, but then, like, it's kind of like that... For me, it's like, I understand it, but I don't know how to explain it to you. It's kind of like describing the taste of water. Like, (laughs) it tastes like water, you know what I mean? So like, how how do you describe it? The importance of it? Yeah, and that's that's a good question. (laughs) There is is that place where it's like, explain why salvation changed your life. Well, it's you, you, you use everything you can, but at some point it breaks down until you experience it. Not because the Holy Spirit's kind of the same way. Nobody ever, I've never heard anybody that's like had, you know, like experienced baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh yeah, that was, that was something. <laughs> Everybody was like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Light bulb just went off, yeah. right? Like it's kind of like that. Yeah, so there is a level where we do our best. You know, like, it's like, okay, I'm trying to explain my salvation. Okay, well, yes, my life looks sort of the same, um, depending on how extreme my contrast is from that moment to the next. But, but my whole life is different. Um, but I'm not sure I can quite, I can tell you. And you have to either take my word at it or not. 
and that's where we, like scripture becomes so critical too. Like, okay, do you, do you trust scripture as a foundation of truth? Okay, well, let's say what scripture says about this. So that's I'm trying to do my best to kind of you know, use that as the baseline of everything we're talking about. But, um, but uh, at some level, yeah, it's like uh, it's just it's just kind of an old moment. So it's like. Do you do you believe that God said that this was something that was worth mm. having? Just trust Him first. Yeah. Don't trust anything else we say. Just trust that God said, "I want you to have this," and then figure out why later as you step into that, and let and then let the old moment be like, "Oh, okay, okay." Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I will say this too: this is not supposed to be like a moment. Okay, we were in Ephesus one time and we prayed. Yes. We spoke in tongues yeah. once, and then yeah, Peter and. What, what Brent brought up is so right on because Peter is so different. But I will also highlight, um, later on, he also went back to being cowardly. Mm-hmm. Right? Paul had to address. He had to call him out. Stop eating with just the Jews. You're scared of what they think, and you're, like, you're alienating the Gentiles. Paul tells Timothy, he says, fan into flame yeah. what I've given yeah, yeah, you. you know, he says, yeah, be... Absolutely. Filled and the word "be filled" is active present. Be continually filled. Like this is not like okay, I you know I did that once. I wrote that off on my checklist of things to do as a Christian, and I'm moving off my life. No, this is like we're just talking about starting points, and that's why tongues. Like if we overemphasize it as yes, I've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I've spoken in tongues. We've overemphasized sometimes the point. Yes, that's the training wheels. That's the starting ground. That's the place of entrance. But the point is the active, continual development and growth into this life. So, so just remember that too. That this is this is just about like salvation. Yes, I was saved. You know what? How how many times have we seen throughout church history horrible examples of where the church has gone awry because it said yes, salvation is this moment, and I write put my salvation card in the back pocket and I move on with my life. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's okay. Salvation is the starting point, and now yeah. discipleship develops. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same way with the baptism yeah. of the Spirit. It's a starting point, and then there's just a lifelong journey of developing mm-hmm. that. Otherwise. Peter, without the Holy Spirit actively flowing, mm-hmm. reverts back to Peter. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter's a coward. Yeah. So Peter, without the Holy Spirit, is a coward. Peter, with the Holy Spirit, stands in front of you know, the executioners of Jesus, you know, briefly after watching them do that, and, mm-hmm. and boldly tells them that they crucify the Messiah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Pretty yeah. stark difference there. So, yeah. And that's where, and that's where what Brent was saying. Witness. Mm-hmm. Somebody was raising hand. Brent or uh, Jacob. I would say the, the the impact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has made in my life is almost as significant as salvation made in my life. Mm-hmm. So I was I was born again, you know, until I was 18, and then in youth group, I got the opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I did. <laughs> and my life just took completely different trajectory, and I know for sure that I was born again and going to heaven. But after I experienced that, I just became bold. So. Just a couple of quick thoughts. One is that I think it's important to have this conversation because if you don't know that something is available, you have no you there's no way for you to receive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just like salvation, right? You got first of all you gotta know that it's available. Yeah. And the second part of that is that also just like in salvation, it's the Holy Spirit that draws people towards salvation as well. So you have to actually respond to the Holy Spirit to get saved. Mm-hmm. So with the baptism of the Holy Spirit now that we've heard about this, maybe you've heard about it before, but if this is your first time really going in depth with it, just allow the Holy Spirit to draw you into more of himself. Mm-hmm. And so then you're, just, then you're just obeying the Holy Spirit to even be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
Because to get saved, yeah, you have to obey the Holy Spirit to get saved. Mm-hmm. So I would just suggest continue to lean on the Holy Spirit in this as well, because if this is true, which it is, He will continue to guide you into that place where you'll want that experience. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was as dramatic as getting saved, mm-hmm. almost. So it's 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 a it's a huge thing. I agree. And and that's not to put pressure on anybody, because like. Sometimes you walk in kind of in the kitty in the pool. You just kind of start. It's it's not like this like drastic. For me, I was like sucking carpet for hours, and I was just like a wreck. <coughs> I also felt like I could go share the. I instantly felt this need or longing to like share my faith. Like yeah. it was like weird, but yeah. but you know, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be like you know tears and sobbing and yeah. whatever. Like you just step. Yeah. Let the emotions do what they do. Let the but just receive. Just like the, and salvation is the perfect analogy to this. Like you, know, whether you're just like, all right, God, I surrender, or you're like, God, this is you know, all right, I give up. You know, I give up. I surrender. Like just walk in, just obey. Like Jacob said, like just obey, and and your life will be transformed mm-hmm. um, as you continue to let that yeah. develop. Um, but not as a moment, as a as a lifestyle of continually, actively going there, mm-hmm. letting your life grow your capacity. You're talking about growing capacity a lot this semester, growing your capacity and boldness and things like that. This is, and sometimes we've actually even talked about like, should we be doing this at the beginning? Because everything else that we're trying to get you to do is really kind of a reaction out of what ultimately we're tr- what this is supposed to be the fuel for, right? Yeah. Um, so, so the point is like this is supposed to be a lifelong development, and, and over your life it will have just incredible impact. And I agree, like Jacob. I mean, I, I think in the sense of like eternality, sure. I mean, uh, salvation is more impactful in my life. Right. But in the sense of, and this is what I think we all understood what Jacob meant. But just to highlight, like in the experience of my life, in my faith, yeah, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Probably did more in transforming my life um, than anything else that I've ever done with the Lord. Um, and and it is. It's kind of like okay, how do I explain the truth? Okay, um, it's like an egg, but it's not. It's like water, but kind of. But it's like I don't know. Just obey, <laughs> and then the light bulb will come off. It's good, you know. Yeah. Then the light bulb will go off, and you like, yeah. Other thoughts, questions? Okay. Sweet. So, um, here's what we're going to do. Um, if you would like us to pray for you, just step into this and to start walking in this. Um, we're just going, you know, downstairs? Upstairs. Upstairs? Okay. We're just going to go upstairs. And we're just going to spend some time in the upper room. And we're just going to, to pray for you. Um, and, and we'll just walk with you through this. Um, if you feel like I need to look at the 15 scripture verses that Nate brought up, that I need to wrestle with this, and I need to, that's okay. It's yeah. okay. 
Um, but I would like to I would like to challenge you. Don't make that the excuse. Either do that and come to me next week and say, okay, I'm ready because I did. Yeah. I wrestled with this. Or let's pray for you. Yeah. Walk into this. Let's pray for you. Uh, if you received it, you know, come on up, pray for your friends, yeah. or you know, you just want to, you know, refan that flame. Uh, we're just gonna spend some time. If you if you just don't want to go there um, right now, uh, that's okay. Just mm-hmm. stay here, stay in here. You know, grab your computer, do whatever. I'd ask you not to go downstairs because it'll probably be distracting with you know, playing games downstairs while we're just praying upstairs. But um, but you just feel free to stay, you know, stay here or whatever. Um, but uh, hopefully we've done a decent job articulating this concept of scripture. Um, and we just, but it's great to talk about things of faith. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I get really bored and tired after a while just talking about faith. I just want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll talk about prayer with my guys. But eventually, I'm just like, okay, I'm done talking. Let's just go pray. Yeah, right. You know, I, you know. Eventually, it's like I'm tired of talking about sharing my faith with people. I just want to go talk to somebody. Right. Let's just go do it. Right. So, this is that moment where we're just saying, okay, enough talking. Let's just do. It. And if you like to be prayed for, um, we'll give you like five minutes, and uh, go upstairs. <coughs> then we'll start. Uh, you go to the bathroom. You grab grab a glass of water. Uh, we'll be upstairs in like five minutes. Yep. So I guess it's kind of after question time. It's okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> we can backtrack. We're um, not of time. I guess you put a lot of emphasis, especially this last part, about how somebody who has already received the Holy, uh, been baptized in the Holy Spirit needs to pray over somebody wanting to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, they can. Yeah, yeah. so... I mean, I know you referenced that one verse in Acts, but do you think that's, like, necessary, or... Okay, that's a good question. No. Do, does, do I have, you know, do I have to, like, you know, through, through you know, vicarious touch, like, impart the spirits into your life? No. Um, you know, I know, I know lots of accounts of people that, um, even kind of pray and pray for the Holy Spirit, um, and then they leave, and nothing happens, and they leave, and it's like they leave the pressure of the moment they put themselves, like they put all this pressure on themselves, and, yeah. and then they walk home, and on the way home, they start speaking in tongues, and like, fill the Holy Spirit, like, holy cow, what just happened? I don't, you know, or like in the shower the next morning, like this is it's so common, like, they, yeah. but, so, I mean, God is there, I mean, his, his omnipresence can become manifest presence any moment that he finds freedom in this world to just flow. Um, but there is the expression, Paul says, fan in the flame, the gift by laying on my hands. Uh, Peter and, yeah. and John lay hands on people. There seems to be this, you know, the gifts of the Spirit seem to flow. Um, and now this gets into a conversation that would take another two hours. I love this conversation, but it is about where there is a certain level of interconnection between the Spirit and the physical. Why in the world does Peter's snot rag heal someone. Like, like, that's just weird. Or like in the Old Testament where like Elisha's bones raised someone from the dead. First account of raising someone from the dead. Because like, what? Just, so there, there is a certain level of like, okay, there is this, this sense of like, 
mostly not to get overly mystical. Mostly it's just like, hey, we're just affirming and just praying mm -hmm. for you. But you can do that on your own. God is there. God is with you. Mm -hmm. So, but but there is this place of saying of stepping out. You know, it's the same way like, hey, you can pray to accept Jesus in your heart by yourself alone in your room, but it's not that solidified in your heart until you do it with someone else and say, hey, guess what? Or maybe ask them, hey, do you mind praying for me? Like if you ask somebody to pray for you and you see the whole you know, receive salvation, are they giving you salvation? No. You can do it on your own. But the point is we're we're always meant to do this together. Yeah. We're always meant to do this together. Mm -hmm. That's why baptism, I I say this all the time about why I think the water baptism is so awesome that God made a thing that we can't do ourselves, right? You can't go in the shower and be like, in the name of the whole, you know, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize myself, right? You just can't. It's not the way it works. There's a community component to this, and that's all we're saying here. Like, hey, we're, we're just going to pray for you and, uh, and affirm together. And that, and that, you know, like anybody that's played sports on a team knows it's the team that challenges you to go further than you would go by yourself. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I was a track athlete for years, and I, I tried to practice by myself when the team wasn't in session. And it was good, but it was never, I never pushed myself the way I did when the team was around me. So that's, that's where that really is. Without um, getting all the mystical stuff. Yeah. Okay. Good? Yeah, that was a good question, though. I'm really glad you asked it. Um, Okay, well, we'll give you guys five minutes for the bathroom, whatever, if you would like to be prayed for or uh, pray with us, we will be upstairs.